You know, I heard you had balls big enough to come in a dump truck, but uh, you don't look like much to me. Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and all the stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe sitting here with Chris. Chris, it's been hotter than hell outside. How yeah, is you know, weekend? <laughs> it's it, well, it's a song. It's been, it's been hot here for many, many days. And oh, it's, it's brutal. You know, my buddy who has uh he's a big farmer up north and he has a bunch of cattle. He said his neighbor has 400 head of steer and yesterday 800 died uh, because of the intense heat and the dew point being so high. He said that's wow. about a $2 million loss. And I'm oh my God. Dude, it's I've actually seen people with the conspiracy theory that um this is just a normal August in Kansas City, folks. Like, come on, they're trying Seriously. to scare tactics in the media to make you think this is worse than it really is. I'm like, no, this is different. I mean, if you've lived here a long time, this is different. But uh, but anyway, Gabe, it's a somber uh show today because yeah. of course, after we heard on wednesday that the great terry funk has passed away at the age of 79 i immediately wanted to tell you like hey we we need to although we're not it's not like tommy dreamer and dr tom pritchard doing a show about it but uh, i wanted to do a show with me and you and just get a couple of our friends that have some good stories about and concerning their fandom of terry funk to really talk about him because you know, Gabe, I don't know. He, I think he is on your quote unquote Mount Rushmore of greatest wrestlers ever. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves because he just didn't stay in one spot very long as far as modern wrestling, you know, the last 30, 30 or 40 years before, after he's NWA champ, but he was just one of those dudes. He was sort of like a modern day bruiser Brody. And, and to my, in my opinion, where it's just like, he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. He, he's so talented. He could always get a job, but uh, I think he's overlooked because of that. I, uh, yeah, I honestly, I think I was talking to you or somebody else. Cause I talked to so many people about wrestling, honestly. Um, but I was saying how he might be the most overlooked guy in Mount Rushmore because before his death, if you ask me who's your Mount Rushmore pro wrestlers, I wouldn't put Terry Funk on the list. And it's not because he's not up there. It's because, like you said, he is so overlooked because he was never, yeah, he was the NWA champion, right? But he wasn't Ric Flair status where he was 17 times. He wasn't main inventing every card in the heyday and when we were watching. Yeah, he main event he main evented against Ric Flair, but he never held the WWF championship. I think he just always flew under the radar and there was those years where he took time off to uh go pursue acting which you know you guys can't see it but chris's background is a legendary scene from when terry funk confronts dalton in uh in roadhouse and i i think he is though one of the most overlooked mount rushmore guys of all time he was so influential in the hardcore wrestling scene which i don't like him actually having that moniker as like you know hardcore wrestler terry funk it's like yeah he did that but he transcended so much of that blood and guts 
type of wrestling. It just so happened that when that stuff was really popular, like ECW's first pay-per-view, he was one of the, he was the one that went off the air with it. But yeah, Terry Funk, man, so, so underrated all around promo ability, wrestling ability, all that. And maybe the greatest wrestling chameleon we've ever seen, you know, I mean, this yeah. is a guy that can like go in. He, he was never, yes. NWA champ. He had other titles as well, but like, he wasn't the dude that was always, like you said, on the top of the card. He could slide in and be in the mid card, be in a tag match, be in a, you know, a, a hardcore match of some sort, like just helping someone get over. I mean, dude, this is a guy I would talk with Tommy Dreamer about him being on his house, a hardcore a lot. And those are like his final sort of getting to the final in ring days of Terry, where he could just have a fun match with Tommy. And, you know, those like this guy could go in and out. Like he, he changed with the times. I know this has been talked about a lot because, you know, I always thought it was so crazy that here's a dude that's in these black and white pictures holding the NWA title back in the days of the Briscoes and Harley and all this. Yeah. And then you flip around and like he's doing moonsaults in ECW with, you know, Dreamer and Sabu and all these guys involved. And you're like, wow, how did like how many people can say they went from that to there? And he's right. still like a he's still like the redneck from Texas, you know, <laughs> everyone respects the hell out of him. And, uh, he, like I said, he was so talented that he was probably on a very short list of people that could basically just no show on Vince McMahon <laughs> and then get a job again in the future, you know, because <laughs> right. that just didn't happen. Like he would, you know, the, the old story of like, you know, anytime he was sort of done with the territory, got sick of what he was doing, he'd say, well, horse is sick. I'm going home, you know, and he'd, he'd go, and like, he would just leave. One of the best stories I heard online is this video that my friend and I would watch all the time. There's a shoot interview with honky tonk man and Lanny Poffo that's on YouTube. And they're asked about, I think they asked about the junkyard dog, or maybe it's about Terry Funk, but they said they had this funny story where they said that, uh, he was wrestling junkyard dog funk, uh, all over the place. You know, this is before he left way back in the you know mid eighties or whatever and wrestling junkyard dog and could not stand him because, you know, junkyard dog at that point was definitely not a good in-ring wrestler that Terry Funk wanted to have battles with apparently. So they're at an airport and Jimmy Hart and, uh, and, and Terry Funk were there and he's like, uh, there, he looks up and one way is going to, you know, New York and the other way is going to, uh, Texas. And he said, he just looked at Jimmy Hart and he said, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I can't wrestle the junkyard dog anymore. I'm going home. And he just went home and never, just like no showed the rest of the tour or whatever, you know? And you're like, uh, and then the I guy got a story. job years later, you know? And like, it's like, but he's so talented and so loved by everybody that he knew that he was going to get a job. I mean, this is a guy who cut a, a record, and we've talked about it before. Um, this guy cut a record in Japan that was a big deal. He was a big deal in Japan. He was a big deal everywhere he went. He carried this larger-than-life persona. My brother said it best yesterday when we were texting. I mean, we really didn't text that much about it, but which is surprising because we both love Terry Funk so much. Um, but he said, you know, the last wrestling outlaw is dead. And that's true. He... You know, it's Jeff Jarrett calls like him. a Brody. Now, we're yeah. talking about we're talking about a guy that didn't need to sign a ten year deal. Nope. Didn't need to. He wasn't. He wasn't. You know, locked down anywhere for years. I mean, he would spend a couple years here at WWF, couple years at the dying days of WCW. But dude, like he went everywhere. He was still like you said. He is. He is the last outlaw. He was the last sort of free agent guy that was just like a 
you know, so, super throwback. So you got to think that has to do with the fact that he came comes from like a promoting family. I was going to say, why do you think that, I was going to ask you why you think that is? Why do you his think father, he, his father, his yeah. brother still has, his, I mean, Dory Funk Jr. Still doing stuff in Florida, still has a school, still, still around. Uh, remember he was going to, Dory Funk Jr. was going to sell major bays in a, a diagram of how to beat Vince McMahon. It was $1 million. I remember that like major. Wait, like, what? Yeah. He offered Major Bazden one a a plan. He yeah, was like in a PDF format, a plan of how <laughs> to take down Vince McMahon, and it was for one. I think it was one million dollars. But so he was anyway. going to sell him the PDF for one million dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was like his, that's incredible. You know, he, he was probably going to have a little bit more hands-on experience with it as well. I'm sure. Oh my god, a school and all this stuff. Can, do you have? If we go fifty-fifty, would you want to buy that plan? Like, if Not we had all. disposable no. income? Not at all. Are no. you serious? That would be so entertaining. I'd spend a million. Dory Funk has that. had a school in Florida for I don't know how many years. How, how many people have you said like, "Oh, <laughs> makes real pipeline coming out of there." I mean, like, anyway, whatever. I'm not burying Dory on this, but I'm just saying. No, I know. Terry Funk was uh, he. He was. He has his brother, his father. Uh, you know, it's. It was just he. He came from an era where you know he was taught like you know go away, learn a new hold, as Jr. says or whatever. He would he would go in, make an impact, get over, yeah. run a program, and then he knew he had to get the hell out of town, go somewhere else, get over there, then come back. You know, a year, two, three, four years later. And he just had that philosophy, and a lot of people didn't have that. You know, even like the Macho Man's who guys who had fathers who had promotions, they didn't do what Terry Funk did. Now, did Terry make as much money as he could have? Probably not. But he was a he. But he was the master. I think he was comfortable his, though. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the Double Cross Ranch. I I don't think you know. Some people. I know it's weird in today's world to think this, but some people are not motivated purely only by money. You know. What? I know it is weird. I mean, because I do. Well, as we sit here in the you know in Kansas City, we have a you know Chris Jones is sitting out for you know X amount of million dollars, and it's just like. I see both sides of it. Like, do you want to be in wrestling? You want to sign a long-term deal and get billions of dollars? Or do you want to have a little bit more freedom and make good money, but not the tippy top money because you're not going to be basically a slave to the company whenever they want. And Terry Funk was, he was the master of his own destiny and he was able to, you know, he wasn't Ventura or even Hogan really obviously going and doing these bit parts and movies, but uh, I always love watching him in roadhouse. I love watching him in, uh, and over the top, he play. He's always like the heavy guy that gets beat up by you know the the protagonist. But like you know, he was friends with Sylvester Stallone, so he got a couple. He was in Paradise Alley. He was in all these play things that were such a big deal. But like to to a guy that to wrestlers that didn't get a lot of chances, you know, at the time, he it was a major deal when he started doing these media appearances, much like it was for Ventura and Hogan and others. But um you know he's just well, he transcended a lot and i just think that even for someone like me who grew up wwf boy i did not get to witness terry funk live like someone like you did because he just wasn't in the world that i was watching as a child but as you got older you get to look at the history of him it's pretty amazing hey, the one that you know we we've told multiple terry funk stories on here but when i was thinking back about my um, I have to silence my phone here. Um, when I was thinking about uh, thinking about my wrestling fandom and thinking about my t- my time in the business, which I, you know, really at the end of the day, I say, you know, wrestling's the worst thing that's ever happened to me sometimes. And like, <laughs> you know, promote especially promoting wrestling was by far the worst time of my life, I think, um, outside of me being a raging alcoholic. But other than that, I was thinking back and I was like, you know what? I, I think Terry Funk was the first big wrestler I ever met. 
when I was 14, which is, and I still have the shirt that he signed for me and all that kind of stuff. And I'm definitely going to put it in a frame now. Haven't worn it ever. I have never, I've had that shirt longer than any other shirt in my drawer. And he has never been on my body because I was like, I'm not wearing a shirt that Terry Funk signed. That's insane. Sure. Like, you know that, but it's definitely going in a frame sooner than later now. Um, yeah, it, which is weird because it's actually not in a box. It's in my drawer still. It's so weird. Where did you anyway, meet him? I met him. Um, I <laughs> This is really kind of a quick, funny story. So me and podcasting have actually a very, very deep history. Um, I was actually hosting a wrestle radio show in my hometown of Lancaster, California, where we would go in to this studio and we, and I was like, 15 at the time and we would go into this uh this actual radio studio and we would record it and or we would do it live and we would put it out on the internet so it was like an internet radio show mm-hmm. and um anyways the guy that i knew that did that ended up <laughs> trying to promote a show boy does that sound familiar um <laughs> ended up trying to promote a show and uh he flew in terry funk for an autograph session. And I forgot the name of the Federation. It was like EXPWFYKL Lancaster, California, whatever. And um, yeah. And he flew him in and then I got to meet him and Iron Sheik was there. And that was when I remember seeing the Iron Sheik and he had like club feet and he was like walk. It looked like he was walking on his ankles and stuff. It was. And when I was a kid, I was bow legged at that point. Yeah, it was so weird to me. It was bizarre. But Terry Funk was such a nice guy. But yeah, met him there. And, you know, my one of my biggest regrets, and I don't think it panned out. I'll have to ask Craig Kiesman about it is right before or either right after the pandemic. And it could have been actually right in the middle. uh, Kiesman was going down to Texas a lot and working for God. What's that guy's name? Denton. Lent. was it Linden? Just the SWE. Yeah. That, that one? Yeah. And they were going to bring Terry Funk in. And I was going to travel with Keysman down because I'd never worked with, quote unquote, worked with mm-hmm. Terry Funk before. And I wanted, I knew we didn't have many years left with him. I knew it. Um, but I think he actually had to cancel that because of health reasons. But one of my biggest regrets in in wrestling is is never actually meeting him in, in the business as we speak. But uh, yeah. So the, the history that I had with him was... Uh, you know, like I've said down here many times, you start, I started in 97 at WWF in 98 chainsaw. Charlie makes his appearance. He's around, he's going around the horn with, with Mick for a while. Uh, you meet him backstage there. You get to talk to him there. You just see how everyone reveres him. I mean, everyone understands that undertaker was a guy holding cord and he's known as the, you know, the, the godfather in the back, but Terry Funk, very similar situation. You know, everyone loved Terry Funk. I mean, and you know, what's so interesting when you meet him is that you see him as this crazy guy that really sells reality to you. You think when he is out there, no matter if you've met him or not, when you see him in the ring and you see what he does and you see, see what he does to himself and other people. And he does it so convincingly that you think he's crazy. I mean, like, you know, he was the guy that could still make people believe that. So it's so interesting to see that persona in the ring. That's so like, Oh my God, is this, I think he's actually flipped out for real. 
to see like how soft spoken he is in the back, you know, and it's like, and it's just so it's what a, I mean, how he can flip that on just from just such a quiet dude, you know, so many guys in wrestling, as you know, have the over the top personality. I'm talking like I'm on a radio you, show <laughs> my entire life. You know, what are you talking about? I don't know anybody like that. He is not that way at all. And then, so um, I got to meet him there. And then when, you know, I got out of WWF, came back home, started running Metro Pro. And right before Metro Pro started, Harley Race had a show in Leavenworth High School, and he brought in Terry Funk. Wow. And so uh, I went up there, and there were there wasn't a lot of people there. And I was oh, shocked because it's Terry wow. Funk, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't because it was lack of promotion more than anything. It wasn't because no one cared about Terry Funk. And uh, so I went there, and he signed a picture there, and like, says he remembers you i'm sure he doesn't but he's always a super nice guy what i always thought he always signs all his pictures like to my long lost friend you know to my, <laughs> or to my my lifelong buddy chris you know he right i saw like my, my my friend todd countryman had a picture similar it was like to my buddy todd you know and all this stuff he always signs stuff like that to make you feel like you know you could show yeah. it to your friends and be like see i've known terry my whole life you know he was just that kind of giving dude but then uh, it was about 2015, like our own uh, favorite Michael Strider was, uh, you know, helping me book stuff and everything at Metro Pro. And he's like, golfer, what you need to do is you need to bring in Terry Funk because I, you know, I need to have him, man. I need to have him here. And I looked into it and it was pretty expensive. And other indies at the time were bringing him in, not really to work, more just really just an appearance and autographs at that point. And, uh, he was pretty high and that was really hard for me to pull the trigger on that. But when I actually did want to do it, I went through Dr. Tom Pritchard because he was still talking with them and he was very tight with them. And I, and I messaged him and I said, Hey, you know, um, I'd like to book him. And at that point he's like, I just saw him and he goes, I, I don't really think it's possible at this point, you know? And that was like 15, 16, 2016. Yeah. And it was getting to the point to where I think it was, you know, he, his, his memory was slipping uh, and it was just not something that was feasible unless he probably had a handler with him, you know, to make sure that he was okay. He couldn't really travel alone at that point. I know he went on to do some stuff with, uh, uh, well, it was right around that time, I guess he was doing stuff with house of hardcore. And I guess he did some stuff with major league wrestling. I was reading uh, today yeah. where he was doing yeah. it in like 2016, 17, stuff like that, but That's he crazy. didn't until, until he couldn't do it anymore. I know it was only six years ago, like 73, but, um, but he was like, he was always such a nice guy, did not big time you, was not like, um, you know, Harley was like that too. Those guys were cut, you know, different era. Different they weren't treated era. like the Hulk Hogan's of the world ever. So they didn't have that kind of real, uh, I mean, not that they weren't revered as NWA right, champs, right, right. but they didn't have the, just the untouchable levelness that you have right. from the stone cold the pomp, the pomp and circumstance, right? Like the yeah, Ric yeah. Flair's, the Hogan's, although these guys are legends on uh, maybe on an equal footing in the wrestling business. It Yeah. Not the same. And I think Terry Funk and correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't he always seem like he just wanted to go home? Like he <laughs> liked spending time at the double cross ranch. He liked being sure. with his wife, liked being with his kids. I think from what I hear, that was a, that was a big deal to him to be able to spend time on the ranch. Yeah. When his wife passed away several years back, yeah. you knew, like I was like, it's one of those stories where he had been with her for so long and she was so crucial to his life. You're like, 
is he going to die like six months later? You know, because yeah. a lot of people spend that much time with their wife. You know, they usually when one goes, it it's weird, yeah. ironic that the other one goes relatively quickly. But no, he he stuck around for a while. But uh, man, he was. I mean, I think everyone saw this day coming. You know that yeah. it was like I knew he it. saw pictures. He had yeah. gotten so thin. Yeah, you know he had been. Uh, he was in, in a, some sort of care home. Some kind of nursing home, some kind of long-term care facility, you know, and like people would take pictures and visit him and, you know, say like, it was great. And like, I, you know, I think there were moments that, in fact, Brian Solomon, who, you know, has his own podcast, shut up and wrestle. And he's a former writer for WWF. He was doing, he did that story. He did the book on the original Sheik and he talked with Terry and he was saying that, you know, for the most part, when wrestling talk came, he remembered a lot of stuff, you know, it's just a lot of that short term memory just goes, you know, it's the that's Man. the one that's bad. I have a mother. My mother in law has dementia like that. And it's like she can bring up stuff that happened 10 years ago and give you every detail. But stuff that happened five minutes ago, she forgets. And so, oh, you know, man. it's sad to deal with people like that in your life. And I'm sure Terry had that going on. And anyway, he had uh, he left a huge mark in wrestling, definitely. And man, the the outpouring of love for the last 24 oh, hours crazy. is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, we're going to cut to an interview right now. Uh, Chris is was fortunate enough to grab a few of our colleagues here and talk about Terry Funk. We're going to cut to an interview right now, um, talking to more stories about Terry Funk and more remembrances. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about Terry Funk because this is obviously going to be a Terry Funk heavy episode, but we also have some all-in talk and some other news from around the wrestling world. So, Chris, let's get to that uh, first interview now. It's the worst territory. Well, joined now by friend of the show, Dan Geyer. Dan, a longtime associate of Harley Race, and he's seen a lot of things in wrestling. And I know Harley and Terry Funk were longtime friends, Dan. I got to actually meet uh, Terry once again at a Leavenworth show you guys had in like 09 or 2010, right around there. And that's where I got to see Terry Funk again after my times in WWE. But when was the first time? Well, let, let's start with this, Dan. Did you see this coming? When was the last time you saw Terry Funk? I had uh, talked to Terry on the phone earlier around Christmas when the first reports that were being basically talked about by people that should know, such as Mick Foley, um, you know, people with some reputable understanding of who Terry is and knew Terry personally, that uh, he had been, you know, had some health issues and had been in a home um, had you know the girls after Vicky had passed the girls were doing the best with him but you know he is a wrestler and he is Terry Funk so <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it's hard to keep him bridled right and you know those guys that sacrifice their life their body and unfortunately part of their well-being at the end of their life you know they start to slip a little so peace of mind is having you know, someone around to assure that Terry actually ate for the day or, you know, just didn't sit there and look out the window all day. So sure. I I'm... talked to him and he was in the in there. He was in great spirits. And Brandy Lee had been there, he had said, and uh, he was all tickled to death talking about the girls and how things were and, you know, missed the old big blonde headed feller and so he was in good spirits the last time I talked to him. The last time I saw him was when Harley brought him in for one of the, the final big showdown shows right before Harley had passed away and uh, visited with him a little bit then. He's, he's, he's always a hoot to visit with. Uh, <laughs> some, 
some of his stories get a little off color. Of course, wrestling back then was off color a little bit. Of course. Uh, you know, stuff they did back then, you couldn't even come close to getting away with today, you know, because you would be trying to be canceled. So. Yes, yes, I've heard some of these stories, and yes, uh, I mean it was more like uh, let the boys play like the boys do, you know. And it's just yeah. you just can't do it anymore. Unfortunately, that's not just wrestling; that's like all professional sports. You hear some of these stories, you know, George Brett and some of the other Major League Baseball players back in the day; they'd be same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, Terry was a good friend with Harley, and, uh, Vicky, and Harley's former wife that had passed away. We're good friends, so uh, when they all got together, it was a very interesting time because the girls would kind of peel off and the boys would drink their Coors Light and enjoy the enjoy the camaraderie of the old school, old type wrestling that you know they grew up with. Uh, everyone knows that after Harley had rehabbed up in uh, Minnesota territory after the big car wreck and had teamed up with Larry Hennig. The first place after he visited a little bit with Bob and then in Central States, they sent him to Texas and Memphis. So uh, he had a good good relationship with the whole Funk family from Dory Sr. to Dory Jr. to uh, ultimately Terry. So, and then, you know, they reminisce about the, the way things used to be, kayfabe-wise and everything else. Uh, yeah, how was what was Terry's uh, relationship with Harley? Because, like you said, it was they're from a different generation. I mean, uh, Gabe and I talk about you know how Terry obviously went from NWA champion to all the way to you know craziness in Japan to ECW. He was a real chameleon, but his roots were you know with Harley holding on to that NWA world title in the family, and just uh, you know that he has obviously very old school roots. That he was a chameleon, though, and he was one of the last like sort of free agents out there. But what did Harley think about Terry, and what did he think about Terry's transformation through the years? Well, Harley thought Terry was a stand-up guy because you know the the wrestler creed back there was you know you had to trust your you know opponent in the ring. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, your life was literally in their hands. So he respected Terry for that. He respected Terry uh, for extremely taking care of the business because, you know, Terry did come up through the territory family-style operation. Uh, Terry took on that traveling NWA champion and, as Harley said, probably performed it as best as uh, anyone could during that time frame when they were trying to fight. Vince was going around and you had Crockett and all those guys were gathering up promotions, trying for their big national battles. And we had the AWA up North. And so Terry was doing his thing. And then like Harley said, at the end of the day, wrestling is a business and the business is you as a wrestler getting paid and performing your craft, your art. And the other side is keeping the fans happy and coming back and putting money not only in the promoter's pocket, but eventually your pocket. And I think he really respected Terry for his ability to modify and change with that, without really, you know, kowtowing to the winds that were blowing heavy everywhere. You know, and, uh, you know, I asked Terry one time when we were out in the middle of nowhere, zipping along at 110 miles an hour, you know, how he got in the movies? Well, he said, you know, you got to rest, son, when you're when you're running a road schedule. So you got to rest, you got to heal up. Well, he said, but you got to make money. 
So if the territory is not making you the money it used to, you had to go. So he went to went to Hollywood, basically. And then I asked him about Sylvester Stallone. And he said, well, I always liked him. You know, he put me in my first movie, which I think it was what, over the top. I think so his very first movie was Paradise Alley, but it was Sylvester Stallone. And then he had over the top like 10 years later with yeah. him as well. And uh, I asked him, I said, well, how, how come you got, you know, he said, because I made stuff look real. I took the ability to, uh, the, the presentation in the ring and transcended it to the, to the screen. You know, he said, these stuntmen, you know, if the camera angle's off a little bit, it doesn't look good. Well, I made sure it looked good wherever that dead gum camera was at. So, <laughs> and he said, Sly liked that because uh, it was the realism that, you know, that cutting edge early Sylvester Sloan stuff was. And I think that's probably why Sylvester Sloan and Harley and all those wrestlers of that area got along so well. He was a big you know, wrestling fan, of, not for, you know, for the art, but the craft that it, it took to do things like that. So. Yeah, no, Sylvester, I mean, yes, in the 80s, obviously, Thunderlips, he was a big fan of wrestling for, yeah. for many years. He had a connection to it for many years, obviously, you know, um, and then you had Schwarzenegger, Ventura, you had Hogan, Sly. You had a lot of stuff going on back then in the movies. And one of his best movies, I don't know if you ever talked to you about Road, Roadhouse, but that's probably... That could, that's probably Terry's most well-known part in, uh, in a movie is Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Yep. <laughs> he said, uh, and I said, and we talked about, you know, Patrick Swayze. He said, it's a tough cat. That cat can actually go if we need it to go. And, uh, and then he always loved it because even when it was on, you know, 499th time, he said, well, there's another nickel in the <laughs> bank account. <laughs> I know, it's always funny. You got a check for a penny. Well, that's less than the check's worth, you know, the, the yeah. paper. <laughs> um, you yeah, did. I'm just curious. I, I don't know if you felt this way or Harley. Did you ever feel like Terry, uh, did, did he ever get trouble for giving too much? Like, I feel I felt like the guy was selfless. So he for a guy of his stature who had been an NWA champion when it meant to be a, a big time NWA champion to go to basically wasn't a big guy that had to be on the top of the card. He would put over people, leave the territory, like you said, come back. And it didn't ever seem like he had that big of a, an ego, obviously, to the, the business was bigger than his ego. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was that's because that's what he was brought up in. I mean. It was about the business because he was brought up in the business as a son of somebody in the business. You know, at the end of the day, it's not, as the promoters would tell you, it's not, it's how well the card did yesterday. The last time we were in town, the time we're, we're in town today, and what's the card going to do next week when we come back? So if we need that card next week to pop, then Terry, if you need to do something tonight to bring those people back, will you do it? And he's like, well, yeah, I understand it. So. Yeah, Terry gave a lot of knowledge to the guys in the back. I mean, when he would come in and visit Harley, it was usually for three to five days because he'd have Vicky with him. And he would actually show up at the training school. And we were all sitting around one night watching these young guys work. And the guy threw a really horrible forearm. <laughs> Next thing you know, Terry's up in the ring with these two students showing them how to do a forearm and like to kill the one kid. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, obviously, you, it's one of those situations where you appreciate it, but you don't appreciate it as much as you do 10, 20 years later. Having yeah. Punk and Harley in the in the same place teaching you, if you're in, lucky enough to be in that situation, how awesome that was. I mean, and, and he didn't need to do that. You know, that, that's what he did because he saw someone that needed some tutoring and he was there, he was available, and he didn't think twice about doing it. So, yes, he gave a lot on the backside of wrestling people don't understand. I mean, he did the jobs for the promoters. He always, he never left anything on the table. He gave you your, his best that he could give you for that night. Even though he might have been banged up, beat up from two nights ago, he was walking in the ring and you were going to get 100% Terry Funk. So... <laughs> Was he the was he the best wrestler to make you believe it's real in our lifetime? Like who? I mean, and this is taking nothing away from Harley and every other you know awesome wrestler on the top of the mountain that we all know. But I, you know, I, he's one of those guys that when you talk about him, people, you know, like I said before, like he's either you know all that stuff's fake, but Terry Funk, he's really crazy. You know, people would yes. say that because he was so good at portraying that because and he could flip it on. As you know, he's so like soft spoken in the back, but then. But then he flips it on. He's a nut job, you know? And, you know, what he, and people would say, don't ever leave them thinking it's fake blood. (laughs) You're like, huh? I mean, you know, bust me in the nose. Open me up. We need blood for this match. There was no, you know, gigging or anything that. It was open me up. And I mean, that means crack you right in the crown with your knuckles down and see if you can part skin hard way i don't think anyone does that anymore no and then like you said between him and mick foley um, mick gave a lot of his body and craziness to the ring i mean when you fall off cages through tables you know that takes some crazy things when you take a oh yeah chest full of bob wire wrapped around a bat as terry did that night that takes i mean it wasn't and I mean, he tells you, put it in there, make it believable. The guy in the back seat paid as much as the guy in the front seat. And we got to make sure the guy in the back seat believes what's going on. And yeah, it, it was. And you see him the next, you could tell he was hurting that night. But you see him the next day, he was that soft spoken, jovial type of guy. And uh, away, away, away they'd go. So it was, he was one of a kind, without a doubt. Did he, uh, did he ever joke with you or Harley about like uh, how many times he retired? Because he, he, it became a running joke. How many times? Well, oh, Terry Funk. Oh, you're going to retire more times than Terry Funk. You know, it's just, that was the, one of the funniest things about him, I thought. <laughs> yeah, he, he, we'd be, he'd be sitting there and, and some guy go, well, I thought you retired, Harley. He said, well, uh, Terry. And Harley goes, his bank account didn't retire, did it? <laughs> <laughs> you can always and, go back and, to the well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, that generation, that group, both, you know, the group after and the group before, that's what they did. They wrestled. That was what they did. So, you know, it's got like a guy that builds houses. Why are you building houses at 85? Because that's what I do. I build houses. You know, you ask Terry Funk, what are you doing at wrestling at 69? That's what I do. I wrestle. You know, 
Did he so, did he ever give you uh, any stories about how he just decided to leave a territory impromptu after a match or something, and he just no showed the next time? You know, he's he's not known for being obviously unprofessional, but the only time you could maybe some, a promoter could possibly do that, like Vince, would be like, yeah, he just went home because his horse was sick. I mean, did you? It, he had some classic lines for not returning to something that he didn't want to do. Right, and I, you know. Um, you know, they talked to him you know, when Stone Cold walked away. There was they were talking to Terry. He said, "I, I do it all the time." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he goes, if, "If there's something that I personally don't want to do, and I know is not good for my business or your business, car keys are in my pocket. Cars in the driveway. I'm gone." <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he <laughs> retirement and disappearing in the night. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know if there's a story when Macho Man worked for WLW a, a couple runs. He disappeared during the night. And Harley was telling, we had Terry in right after that. Harley was telling Terry that. And Terry goes, well, I guess he had to go home. He <laughs> could relate. Like, he could relate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he could. He's like, well, Harley, you wanted to go home. You know, that's what it was. So, yeah. Yeah, he he was uh, he was definitely. Um, I, I mean, it's just classic, and and you know he had the talent to back it up, so he's going to get a job. You know, I mean, well, yeah. that, that was the thing. You know, when your brother's running one of the biggest territories in the NWA, and you're and you can pull stuff occasionally, a on your brother if you're in your territory, b well, I can always go back and be the the Western Texas champion, or you know, they bled over into New Mexico and up into Colorado a little bit, and up in the Panhandle of Oklahoma. I go be the champion, you know. And back then, that was pretty decent living. So, and then he had the ranch on top of that. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't seem like the kind of guy. Like everyone wrestles for money. That's what you do it for. I mean, you do it for pro. You do it for you know, the love. I get all that. But at the end of the day, someone of his stature, he's hit a point to where he makes good money. However, uh, he did not ever seem like, or he didn't come across to uh, from a fan's point of view as someone who really lived just for the money. Because I feel like he could have gotten a lot more money if that's all he did it for. Right. I mean, you had the feeling he would be one of those guys that probably had the first $10 he ever made. And although he's making a lot of money, he, he really wasn't in the traditional professional wrestling Ric Flair mode where the money was about cash flow. To him, it was just money. Sure. I got money in the bank. I got the ranch. You know, and, uh, Hey, it's my daughter's birthday. I'm going to go see it. Well, Harley, it, it, it's Saturday night. I don't care. It's my daughter's birthday. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Stacy's birthday. Or I'm going to go build Stacy a treehouse. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what he did. That position in life is maybe the greatest position you could be in. I mean, it's sort of like fu money in a different way. It's like <laughs> I, I I don't need this. I am confident enough in my skill. That that is the ultimate level of of self esteem, secure. You know, the the opposite of insecure. You <laughs> know, very right. secure, but. Uh, it, hey, I, I do want to get to some levity about him because I'm sure there's some some stories we can talk about. But the one thing I did want to ask you, because I'm sure you've been to both uh, with Terry and Harley in a bar. Uh, they say, I, I read something yesterday after Terry passed. Someone said, I don't care uh, what anyone says. I know everyone says Harley's uh, drank beer the best, the quickest, whatever. He said, Terry Funk drank a beer faster than anyone, including Harley Race. Now, can you confirm or deny this? 
I would I would say that's 99.99% true because the two times that I've actually been around when they were quote unquote besides sipping and visiting but I mean drinking yeah Terry was always getting up to the bar and always bringing beers back and there were always beers in front of Harley and Terry was always out <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, it's, I, but look, I've, I don't really hear that about him. You know, of course you hear Andre and that's a whole different thing, but then Harley, uh, he's known as the, you know, he can gulp one down and like a quick, you know, flick of the wrist. But, uh, I just thought that was funny. I'd never heard that Terry was e- at, e- at least equal to Harley. Uh, but oh, he, yeah. he could, <laughs> as, as Harley would say, put the sweat back in you with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I don't know. Before I let you go, is there is there anything else we can talk? I know I know that there's a lot of probably R to X rated stories that can be told <laughs> about Terry and or Harley together or whatever, and they don't have to be together. But did you have anything Terry told you about or that you witnessed personally that you think is a, a funny story that should be passed down through the ages? <laughs> we went to I went with Harley down to Amarillo, and then they had a special appearance together in Odessa. Well, you know, Amarillo and Odessa, Texas, is kind of like that drive from Kansas City to St. Louis. I mean, it's just plain horrible. Horrible, yeah. <laughs> horrible, horrible. But as we were going down the road, they started giggling. And, I mean, like schoolgirls. I'm like, why don't And we went by what looked down a run-down radio gas station. Terry then said, well, that used to be at night. The only station open between Odessa and Amarillo. And, you know, we were driving 70s and 80s cars. So that would be where you had to stop and get gas and do other things. And the guy that ran it was a big wrestling fan. <laughs> so Harley, so they pulled a rib on him. And basically, because it was kayfabe time, so Harley didn't ride with Terry and Terry didn't ride with Harley. Their cars were filled with other people. You know, Harley typically had the heel tag team and maybe a heel training or just, you know, that was, and Terry had the local guys with him. So they literally, Harley would stop, walk in, you know, get his gas, tell the guy, I'm looking for that Terry Funk, blah, 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 and then get in his car and leave. And minutes later, Terry Funk would show up. Because they were trying to, they were kind of riding in a caravan type thing. And that guy was said, man, Harley Race is just here and he's looking for me. He said, well, you tell him I'm looking for him. Well, then five minutes later, Harley had circled around town and came in back in. And they did that like eight times to this poor guy until, <laughs> I, until he finally caught on what they were doing. <laughs> That's, and, that is classic. And I'm, and I, and you know, Terry goes, what else do you do in 1976 when there's nothing between, you know, two godforsaken places? Yeah, that's what people don't, they don't know that. They don't have the perspective of knowing the time before you can just scroll and have fun on your phone for four hours. Right. So that, but they, they, they always talked about, you know, the, the rib they pulled on, they knew the guy's name even. And they kept, you know, it was it's stories like that. And you now hot, Harley always thought Texas was and how cold Missouri was to Terry because, you know, they came from two different climates. So they were, but they both had a mutual respect for one another that I've really not seen it between 
the, you know, all the legends that I've been around with Harley, I mean, those two are almost kind of like brothers. There was a lot of respect between old man Hart and Harley and even Brett. But I mean, there was even more respect between Terry and Harley. And part of it was probably the lineage of Harley, you know, really getting his feet on the ground. We went to the Texas territory after he'd been hurt and, you know, started to break out as a singles wrestler. So, and they had the they had the history passing the NWA belt from one to the other two. So you yeah. know, it was it was uh, I, that doesn't shock me. I mean, I don't know who I would have thought. Um, I I would have thought that more than Harley and Flair, you know. And I would have mm-hmm. thought that I would I would I don't think I would have think of anybody if you asked me that question. Who do you think Harley was tightest with? It would probably be him because they were pretty similar in many ways, just from the outside. Yeah. Oh, and and the inside, they're both crazier than the bed bug, or could get crazier than the bed bug. <laughs> well, who drove faster? I, I, they would pass one another. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. They were literally, you know, if you're cruising 110, some guy blows blows by you at 100, you know, 27. Well, then you speed up and blow by him at 130. Well, then 15 minutes later, he's blowing by you. It, it, they get out in that West Texas, you know, desert territory, whatever. Where there's nothing but miles and miles of highway, and it was just like, all right, let's see who can blow things up. And uh, what a what a good time to be alive. Yeah, and uh, so I, you know, the respect between Terry and Harley, and then I've seen Harley with Larry, and of course, that respect was there. So those that was a, that's I've never seen that respect between Harley and two uh, two other wrestlers, you know anywhere so and terry earned it because he was old school and then like you said he was a comedian because he kept if this is what wrestling is going to be if i'm going to go to japan and be crazy uh, to keep wrestling alive to keep my craft alive then that's what i go do i've got to you know show up at ecw and become one of the hardest cover hardcore guys no that's all right too i mean that's you know it was was that laid-back attitude that terry had like you said, he was very soft-spoken and he giggled and grinned a lot until the lights came on and, and the bell rang. He is similar. He's similar to the Undertaker because Undertaker is very laid back too. And Undertaker, of course, known as the sort of the, the main man in the WWF locker room for his entire run, basically. But Terry Funk, also that kind of guy. I've never, I've never heard. I'm sure there's people that hate Terry just because he was pushed or big or whatever out of jealousy but i've never heard anyone bury terry funk and this is including office people even people that he might have like no showed on before (laughs) like they uh, like even vince loved terry funk like everyone liked terry funk even though um you know i i can't even say even though even though he might have like gone home when he didn't want to wrestle junkyard dog for a while back in the 80s but uh (laughs) but besides that like i've just he just seemed like i mean from tommy dreamer to tom pritchard to i mean everyone that was his you know a disciple of his man he was i there's few men that i have seen uh more respected than terry funk yep and a lot of it is the way he taught you know, he taught in private or in a small private you know in the kayfabe group he wasn't one of these guys that would come into a locker room and just rip you a new one or even not even let you get to the locker room. as soon as you broke the curtain he wouldn't be up crawling all over you and you know he would have that you know, this, that, you know, presentation about it, he'd sit down next to you or pull up the chair and set it on sideways or spin it around and say, now, son, what could you have done 
didn't really make any sense. It didn't look real what you did. What do we need to do to make it look real? And that, that's just the type of guy he was. He was truly a legend. And Dan, thank you for joining us on the show because I wanted to get some perspective from, from some people that spent some time with him outside of his bubble and just around the Midwest here. So thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I had a dream last night. Oh, yes, and it was a beautiful dream. I dreamed that I was on the front porch of the Double Cross Ranch, and my father, who's long since gone, was there in a swing, swinging with me, and up drove a long black limousine, and the left front fender was dented in, and the door opened and out stepped a beautiful lady. And my daddy said, woman, what happened to your left front fender? And she says, I ran over some kind of an animal on the road. I don't know what it was. My daddy said, well, what did it look like? And she says, well, it had great big ears and it had nostrils, big, huge nostrils, about five inches apart. And it had horse teeth and it smelled real bad. And my daddy said, my world, girl, you must have ran over a jackass. And I said, what did it smell like? She said, it smelled like hairspray and cheap cologne. I said, woman, you didn't run over any jackass. You ran over Ric Flair. Is he dead? She says, no, but the last time I saw him, he was running scared. Well, let me tell you something, Ric Flair. You look at me in the eye because I am looking at you. You realize that you must live not in the future because there is none. You must live in the past. Give up that belt or I'll stick your neck out one more time for me. Stick it out for me, Flair, you gutless individual. I'm talking to you. That's enough. Stick it out. Stick it out. We're not going to listen anymore to this. Fans, we'll be back with the Steiners. It's the worst territory. All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world as we continue our celebration of the one, the only, the hardcore legend, Mr. Terry Funk. Chris, let's talk a little bit about memories we have of Terry Funk. Um, you you shared with me right before we went, we went on that your your first fandom moments of Terry Funk came when uh, you saw him in ECW. And there was, I, I mean, honestly, that's when my fandom kicked into real high gear was his feud with Tommy Dreamer, his alliance with Raven. And even before that, his uh, rivalry rivalry with Shane Douglas. Um, what are some of your fondest memories of uh, watching Terry Funk either in promos or wrestling matches or or any, any fond Terry Funk stuff? I mean, you know, you, you sort of go through like uh, systematically through my life, like when I was a kid didn't really see Terry Funk. I saw him with Haas Funk as the Funk brothers, as the tag team in the early to mid eighties. And they were there for a couple of years, but they were gone very quickly during the WrestleMania era. So they, wait, who's Haas Funk? Haas Funk is what was what they called Dory Funk Jr. Really? And so they called him Haas. They called him Haas. And then what happened is Terry left and my horse was sick. He left. (laughs) So then they brought in, um, uh, Oh, well, now now I'm blanking. The other funk that got in fights, Jimmy Jack, Jimmy Jack Funk. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy yeah. Jack Funk came in to tag with Haas Funk still because <laughs> okay. Haas stayed, 
And then that's not a real how, funk. That, Jimmy Jack. That's funk. how Jimmy Jack funk became came in because he was brought in because Terry left. So he he tagged with Dory for a while. And so anyway, that, that was my first memories of Terry. Of course, growing up, I had the LJN of uh, Terry Funk. You know, that's one Did that you? was. Uh, yeah, he was in. Well, he was in one of the first. I think he was in the first series where wow, he had his branding iron and his cowboy hat and like he had his green like olive green chaps on with red tights. <laughs> I mean, this is what he, you know, and he was. Uh, they're expensive now. You have to if you have the original branding iron, that's a huge deal. That little piece of plastic, but um, you know, that was what I remember him first. And then you know, not being an NWA guy or WCW guy, I did not watch all his classic battles with Ric Flair until I was an adult. And then fast forward to when I'm in the mid nineties and I I'm getting these bits and pieces, the internet's now a thing. And you're watching like Terry Funk on uh, this thing called ECW. And I'm like, isn't, you know, it, it's so funny how age is a perception when you're younger, when you're in your twenties, you're like, that guy's like a hundred, <laughs> you know, and he's probably like my age now. Yeah. He's right? like 40. Yeah. He's like 45. And you're and like, Oh my at God. The, at the time you're like, that's like my grandpa doing a moonsault. <laughs> and you know, that's why he was like middle-aged and crazy in ECW. And he did the moonsaults and he did the, you know, he was just, he, he did everything he ever did in Japan. And you know, all the stuff that you heard about the death matches with, with Mick Foley, which I've also watched. And I'm sure you have seen those moonsaults millions of times as well but uh just the crazy stuff he would put his body in and get involved with like he was just so for a guy being from amarillo it was just funny to see how open-minded he was to do anything in the wrestling business and then <laughs> and then you move forward to like chainsaw charlie and see him re return there then when i'm working for wwf you see what he did in wcw when he would go and ultimately becoming like the commissioner for a while but that oh, was in wcw yeah. was just falling apart i mean it was oh, just wcw was such a shit show it was. And you're like, part of you is like, why would Terry even like want to go over there to even do this? But I'm sure he did it for some of his friends that were there, yeah. uh, you know, because why not? Because he didn't take this so seriously that he couldn't do that. You know, some people look at this as such a legacy thing. I mean, I think we all joke about how many you're going to retire more than Terry Funk. You know, I mean, right. Terry Funk has had so many retirements, retirements. and became a joke. I mean, it's like and I'm sure he like thought that was funny you know because i think in an interview he said i'll never really retire but he'd always have uh you know his big wrestle fest match uh -huh, and like stuff uh -huh. on the double cross ranch i mean there was just so anyway like what i would say is when i came back you you would see some of the crazy crap that in person that he would do with uh you know with chainsaw charlie when he was doing these crazy bumps even past the age of when I he know. did ecw God. and then going back now and watching his feud with flair in the in, in you know at uh, starting at like the Great American Bash '89, you know, I mean, those were like incredible matches. And like we had this, I was talking with Strider yesterday when we were talking about Funk. It's like, what's the best year in wrestling? And I've always sort of default to '97, but uh, Strider said because of Flair Steamboat and because of Flair uh, uh, Flair Funk and the Mega Powers exploding, he goes '89. Hmm, that's a good call. That's a really good call. I I I remember seeing Terry Funk for the first time um in that era. So his feud with Ric Flair, I remember watching that Great American Bash where he was one of the judges yeah. and then he comes in and Flair's like kind of big time in him or what go back to Hollywood and and then when he snaps and attacks Flair, I was like and he pile drives him on a table. Now keep in mind this is way before anybody was doing any of that kind of stuff. And when you look at that replay, 
it looks like he breaks Ric Flair's freaking neck because yeah. Flair even tries to put a hand down to b- break his fall from Terry Funk pile driving him on a chair or on a table, which added to the realism of this guy hates him. Like this, and you can see his neck kind of fold on the table all weird. And, and then, he, I mean, he's laying it into Flair and I'm like, oh my God, this guy really hates like, cause again, you know, I'm a little bit like kind of getting smart to something's going on in the business, but he was beating the piss at, and then the plastic bag over the head all this kind of crazy stuff. And then he's gone. Like after they have, I think one or two matches, a tag match and maybe something else, he's gone. Like it, it, it's not like a build to a title. And here we go. Here comes Terry Funk here. No. Once he has his thing with flair, which by the way, I hear there's some hilarious uh, airport stories with Terry Funk carrying on his, his feud with Ric Flair, even in airports years and years later. Yeah. He, he, he worked it, man. He worked <laughs> he it. Worked it. <laughs> There's even a real quick side story. There was this picture that a social media guy, um, he makes all these like kind of fun Japanese wrestling shirts. He he took a picture of Terry Funk after one of Terry Funk's last matches. I think it was his last match. And he's walking down the stairs and he says, even backstage after the match, Terry Funk was still giving shit to the referees that he was giving shit to in the ring as if it was still, there was always a camera on him. And he said it was just kind of this really cool moment where he was just like still like pie facing the referees in the back. I'm not joking. Like, I mean, I don't think people like younger people now that have grown up in a different era since like 2000 or whatever and watch wrestling. I don't think you can really overstate how this dude carried it on. So in a, in a world where, yes, like people, Vince says it's fake and all this stuff year, a few years after this, but like he was still treating it as though it was so real that even the most like critical slash cynical person would be like, you know, all this other crap's fake, but this Terry Funk's real, you know, he really feel, I mean, he just had that, he sold it so well and he was so convincingly crazy. He was. And flash forward a couple of years later to when I started watching ECW on a black and white TV on a UHF channel. Yes, that's a real thing. And seeing him, Again, just blowing my mind with the pile drive. He pile drove Arn Anderson through this little slat of a table that was leaning up against. It was like a piece of table laying up against the the canvas and the third and the bottom rope. And he pile drives him through that. And it's like the first memory I have of ECW. And I'm like, oh my god, this guy's still doing it. And then from then on out, it was just like my obsession with ECW began. And seeing him just, you know, in in so many classic ECW programs. Um, the, obviously the, one of the biggest moments of my childhood was the ECW pay-per-view. That's how big of a fan I was. And when they're going off the air and Terry Funk has had won the bell and he's gushing blood. I mean, he, I don't know what he did to himself, but good gravy. He hit an artery or something like it just completely covered in blood. And they didn't and, think that was going to hit air. Remember they were yeah. running out of time. It was like, yep. they were, it was their first pay-per-view in time. And the transformer out. blew up like right after that. Yeah, yeah. After they were counting down, and then yeah, yeah, it was like five seconds after it blows up. You know, I I wish like you know Tommy Dreamer obviously will have. I'm sure he'll write a bunch of stuff on social media and talk about it on Busted Open. But he's he's just a Tommy Dreamer loved Terry Funk as much or more than Mick Foley. You know, and Mick loves Terry Funk too. I've already seen Mick Foley sort of put it out there. Uh, you know, I, I think if I was going to listen to two people about Terry Funk or anything, it'd be Mick Foley and Tommy Dreamer. Um, Dr. Tom, very tight with them as well. So, you know, there's 
there's uh it, they just love him so much but i i would love what i was going to say is if paul Heyman had a little bit more sincerity to him uh <laughs> i would love to hear like how much you know he he attributes the rise of his era of ecw uh, to to Terry Funk's like reputation that he brought to the company and what he did for that because you know Heyman is so disingenuous when talking about things as far as like he just overstates everything to such a theatrical degree you know which makes him a great on air person yeah, he's a wrestling worker. but it never turns off so but I mean you you have to think that you know like you said terry funk being an ecw at a time where you're like i don't really know who this tommy dreamer guy is and i don't know who rvd is or whatever but this but that's terry funk you know what i mean yeah. like that you know that the credibility was like off the charts for the ecw that was sort of transitioning from too extreme from the east coast you know and then him coming out i remember watching you know obviously this was before music rights had taken over it was hitting the network him coming out to desperado Yes. I, and especially during the ECW pay-per-view, I, I'd like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. You, I have legitimate tears almost. Like I was just like, this could be the last run of a great wrestler, you know? And that was back oh, in yeah, 97. No. But that was so like, that was such a different kind of theme song come out to. And it was so cool. And like, yes, I, I do attribute ECW in many ways to like how they were able to have like popular music played, which <laughs> it, like, which I, you know, on a side note that Paul would always say like, well, it was, it was ambient noise. It wasn't pumped into it. And I'm like, yes, but it's still like in today's world, you'd still get sued. Like it's not, yeah, you're not, yeah, yeah. you're not plugging the audio into an actual track on the camera. It's just blaring in the building and you can pick it up. And he was, that was his, me, that, was, that was, I never heard that. That, that, that was, was the his... defense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Which at the time I worked. think actually worked, but you know, people are like, why can't they do that now? Why can't WWF put out a pay-per-view where Sandman, you know, playing with his real theme song? I'm like, well, it's because, you know, that cost him like a, a trillion dollars on rights on the network or whatever. Especially Metallica. Good Lord, that'll cost you an <laughs> arm and a leg every time. They killed Napster. They'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that, dude. Yes, I do. <laughs> Napster. Um, but yeah, there's so many, uh, you know, and then throughout, it, it, let, let us not forget the whole dumpster incident when he was tagging with uh, Mick Foley or Cactus Jack or whatever. Road dog they, and the yeah. Outlaws, yeah. Yeah. Even like, you, yeah, you saw the popcorn or the peanut, the styrofoam peanuts fly out or whatever, but you still were like, oh, I don't know, man. That was, that was pretty. Do you was... remember the next night? No. When they pulled him out, wasn't it the next night or was it that night? It was when he showed the the scar he had from hitting the damn dumpster. No. I thought that he showed it. Like maybe it was just maybe it's just us seeing it backstage. But he had a, a a like a road rash on the side of his torso from hitting that damn dumpster. Because even oh though they God. had some padding in it, of course, you know he's taking it full force. And like <laughs> it, it was just a huge hemoglobin like all over the side. Oh, of his hematoma. Body hematoma sorry and uh, hemoglobin but uh hematoma what? on the side of his body and i remember like everyone was just freaking out and it looked it i'm sure it terry like punk is not selling it at all yeah it was super purple it was just like a huge <laughs> oh birthmark on the side of his body and uh i thought they showed that on tv but maybe not because that would be such a great graphic thing and he would totally do that may i'm trying to remember if it was or not but yeah that was a horrific bump and at that time he had to have been god pushing 60 yeah like yeah. yeah. I mean, crazy when you think about the stuff that he put it in and the fact that he was still so with it, even in the latter 
years of his appearances and stuff. And even the like brief conversations he would have with people, but he did go into seclusion. I think a couple of years ago when the mental faculties really started to decline, I don't think he wanted people to see himself like that. Um, But man, what an absolute legend this guy was. I mean, we could literally go on and on about uh, how amazing Terry Funk is, but unfortunately, you know, all good things must come to an end. Chris, we got another great interview uh, that you lined up. So let's get to that right now. And then on the other side, we'll uh, talk some wrestling news, some all in and wrap this baby up. All right. Okay. Let's get to the interview right now. It's the worst territory. Joined by good friend Ace Steele. And Ace, I know obviously uh, you've been all around the world. You've been to Japan. You've trained with Harley Race. And I know amongst all those trips around the sun, you have had obviously multiple times uh, seeing Terry Funk, interacting with him. So when was the first time you ever met the great Terry Funk? Well, hello. Glad to be here and not under these circumstances because rest in peace, Terry Funk. Um First time I met Terry was actually 05 that I can recall. And I may have met him at some NWA convention in the years that I wrestled early, but I, I don't know. The NWA 50th, I wrestled at, but I don't remember what legends were there except for Harley, Tully Blanchard, and Dula Butcher. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, Terry Funk at the Cauliflower Alley in 2005, I was hell-bent on buying Jack Briscoe's book. And I was looking for Briscoe everywhere, and apparently something happened with his books not showing up. And I was I was really down in the dumps, and I was walking around. I walked to the gimmick room, and as I look around, and it's pretty much closing time. Like, they're starting to wrap this place up. And I see Terry Funk off to my right sitting there with his books that had just come out not long before. And he's signing them. And I thought to myself, why would I not just buy a book from Terry Funk? You know, much much Chris, like when we were there with Dick Fire, like why wouldn't I just buy a massive Dick Fire right now? Totally. It's right, you, you feel right fucking there. You're peer pressured into it because when are you ever going to have this opportunity and maybe you'll never see him again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly how I felt. It was like, I have never been around Terry Funk. I'm getting something from him. So I went up to him and said, hello, sir, how are you? And he looked at me and goes, oh, you're a worker, aren't you? Which made me feel really good. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yes, sir, I am. He's like, are you working tonight? They were having that show. And I said, no, no, no. I'm just, you know, I said, I do work for Harley. He's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, would you mind if I bought a book from me? And it was only 25 bucks. And he's like, oh, sure. And we're talking and he's making just small talk with me. Very nice talking, you know. The minute he looked at me and said, you're a worker, made me feel like a million bucks sure. that I actually look like a fucking wrestler. And then in the corner was Ox Baker with somebody had a camera on him. I don't know if it was TV. Someone was filming something on him and he was being this loud Ox Baker. So, rah, 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 you know, cutting a promo and Terry Funk looked up and he stopped for a second, looked at Ox Baker and he looked at me and said, I wish he'd just shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and I popped, I got a great story for my book. And I went about my day. Um, he was just, I would see him later subsequently at Harley shows. Harley would bring him in as a guest. And I was always the one to stand up on the second rope, cock back a fist to drop a fist drop. And I said, Lawler did this to you. And he beat you every time. I would talk shit to him from the ring all the time, you know? And he just, I can see him sitting there smiling. And, and I wish I would have tried to like get a spot together. Like there was a spot with me and Mick Foley once at one of Harley shows. And uh, it was great stuff, which we worked a couple of times at shows. And that was great. Thanks to Mick and 
by the same token, doing something with Terry and getting socked in the face by Terry would have been great. You know, Punk's got to work him so many times and, you know, hear about how stiff the left hand is and how, but how much fun he is to work. But every time Terry would see me, and I think this is how he was with a lot of people and much, much akin to Piper. If you see Piper and say hello to him, he acts like he knew you. Like he, he invites you in like, Hey Terry, how are you? Oh, Hey kid, how are you? And you know, I do a terrible Terry and he would go, you know, Vicky's here. And I said, Oh, is she and like, I'd never met Vicky in my life. And I was like, Oh, that's great. Like, I think he might've thought I was someone else. I don't know, but he would just, have great conversations telling me how he worked in Hollywood for all these years that a lot of us probably don't know. I, I mean, now you do, but we didn't know that he was out there doing commercials and shit and little B movies just to keep himself with a sad card. He was, was choreographing. So, he, cho- I didn't know he choreographed the fight scenes for Rocky five uh, in the street. Yeah, fight. I, I just read that too. And I didn't know that either. That's, that's amazing. I don't know that. I don't know that it's on his IMDb credit. It might be now, <laughs> But uh, yeah, to think about what a genius that is, like, you know, he'd take his sabbaticals from wrestling and go to the ranch, sick horse. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, but he would fucking he would always come back, you know, ball of fucking fire. But stuff like think how smart that was for him to do, you know, mm, yeah. um, just just amazing. But he uh, I, I never got to do anything physical with him. But every time I saw him, man, he was just he was just so nice and giving. The last time I did see him. It was the last time I worked for Harley when Harley was still, um, you know, he, he kind of was, was the memory was, it wasn't completely gone yet, but it was, you know, you're, you're working on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was Bobby. I have this poster. I posted it the other day online, on social media. Uh, it's got Bobby Eaton was there. Harley was there and Terry Funk at one of their camp shows. And I had Harley's title and I was dropping it that night because it just worldly wrestling was not the same anymore to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as soon as I saw Terry Funk there, and and I regret this, I regret not getting a picture with those three people that I just mentioned. I have picture, well, I, I should say I have pictures basically individually with everyone but Terry, and I will tell you why. Because I went out, and we worked the main that night with you, but to with the strap. And once I saw Terry Funk there, I all of a sudden put my working shoes on, and this is 2014. I'm like, there ain't no way I'm missing anything. Dog, like I chopped the ring post. I fucking went nuts with the crowd. Like I've probably beat myself up more than anything to entertain those three guys at the fucking table. Sure. And when I was done with it, I walked over the Harley and he was sitting with, with, with funk. And I said, boss, anything for me? And I, you know, thanked him. And he said, no, but listen to him. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> I sat down next to Terry and he just, it was a proverbial, like, gosh, he was just putting my work over. It was meant, it meant so much. And this is a pat on the back for me telling this story. But the, the point of this I'll get to in just a second. But he tells me all about this. You're as good as anybody. And I think you'll make it. And, and mind you, this was 2014. I am not trying to make it in wrestling anymore. It's done. I'm fucking around is what I'm doing. The reason I work so hard is because I saw those guys. You know what I'm talking about. I worked for you during this period. Sure. So... So I'm just having fun on weekends. I'm not trying to fucking get signed anywhere. Um, and he's just giving me this speech that is just glowing. And I'm like, I'm just, I can't imagine. I thought he was going to tell me not to do something stupid. And, you know, and, and also the funny part about this is like, you know what I'm going to tell you and what I'm going to tell you to stop doing. And I'm like, or get on you about. I start thinking, what? Like playing with the crowd? Yeah. 
you should be an ass kicker and, and more of a, more mean and have those people frightened of you instead of goofing off is what he told me. <laughs> and I'm looking at him thinking, you're telling me to stop goofing off. You know, fuck's the guy falling over guardrails and like having seizures on tables. Oh, like, yeah. holy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he tells me all this. It gives me the most glowing review that I can ever. I'm on cloud nine. And I will, I will honestly say this as a fan, as a worker, and I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. That I went back to my bag and I had a Terry Funk figure, the new Mattel figure that they put out. Mm -hmm. And I had it in my hands and I did not have the balls to walk up to him and ask him to sign that when he treated me like such a peer. Like, that's exactly why we didn't do that stuff. Sure. You know, and and I'm an advocate for taking the pictures because what I'm about to say is I didn't fucking take the pictures this night. But I had good old Brian Thompson, who was great friends and uh, took care of Bobby Eaton stuff for a long time friends with Eaton, he was announcing that night and I just went up to Brian and said, Will you get this signed by Terry for me? And I'm like, I can't do it. Man. I just can't I just can't do it. And he goes, I'll get it for you. So he goes and gets it. Then I turned around to Terry and we kind of had this wrong, but from the movie I Like to Hurt People, which is all about the Sheik and Detroit wrestling. Yep. Have you seen this before? Yes, yes okay. classic, yeah. Okay, yeah. So there is a scene in there and Punker and I used to think it was Dory that got yelled at by Terry, but it's actually Dory that yells at Terry on the phone. But the line is, did you get the goddamn match with the Sheik? <laughs> that's all it, That's all it is. And we thought it was Terry yelling, did you get the goddamn match with the Sheik? It's actually Dory that says, did you get the goddamn match with the Sheik? Anyway, I turned around to Terry, and I went and talked to him again. I said, you know, I trained CM Punk. And he goes, oh, God. And he just starts putting Punk over to me. And at that point, when he thinks about that, I trained him. And all the things that he told me at the table about, you know, going somewhere and making it wrestling. He sees the gray in my beard because we're in, like, more daylight. You know, it's it's it wasn't as dark as it was before. And then, then you can see the wheels turning. Like, this guy's not a fucking kid at all, you know. <laughs> But I had him on Voxer. I had him voice memo, and, and I think Punker has lost it since. Just different phones, or you know, Voxer just farted on him. Sure. I had Terry say into the into the voice, "Hey, Punk, how are you? I love you." And but what I want to really know is, did you get the goddamn match with the Sheik or not? Just tell me. <laughs> uh, classic. Yeah, it was it was fucking great. But I mean, uh, just my memories of Terry Funk are just awesome like that. Um, I'll ramble on one more for you. I started in 91. And so what his run in WCW is 1989. That's what all the stuff happened where he jumped flare. With I flare, just watched. Yeah. yeah. So I just watched him jump flare today. I fast forwarded. I love love Steve O'Flair, but I got to the I got to the point of what I was looking for. Pile driver on the table, all that shit. Mm-hmm. Well, during that era. And since probably as long as NWA had come to Chicago, I'd always gone to UIC Pavilion to see wrestling, either Rosemont or always the WCW, usually. And I was somehow by the guardrail, not really sitting ringside, but we, we might have sat like fourth, fifth row. But I happened to be by the guardrail yelling at wrestlers. So think about that. I'm, I'm a teenager at high school. And he took a swing because he was a heel. He took a swing at me, dude. Like, I thought he would have fucking taken my head off. Oh, yeah. I believe that still to this day. Not, now I know what a work it is. He knows his range. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. he swung holy hell. And I remember jumping back as a teenager thinking he was going to fucking whack me. That's how fucking good this guy was. Uh, so several things that I got out of that. Uh, number one, 
you said he always treats you like you're like he's known you forever. So I, I you know, I had met him with uh, as Chainsaw Charlie as working for WWF, and of course I, I didn't see him past that era until he came to a Harley show in like oh nine ten up in Leavenworth. He was there, and you know WLW drew nothing that night, but Terry Funk is freaking there, and that's the first time I yeah. met your wife Lucy too. I was like I was looking for oh. people for Metro Pros starting up, and that's the first time I ever met her was this show. But uh, Terry's there, and um, he, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty young, so I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, I worked for WWF, and you were there, and he's like, oh yeah, I think I remember you, which is yeah, cool. <laughs> she was just being nice, right? He's just kind, yeah, right. and so right. he wrote on my eight by ten, you know, like to my my very long friend Chris, you know, and I'm like. And so when I took that back and I was showing it to people, I was like, look, you remembered he put to my very old friend Chris or, you know, whatever. And then uh-huh. I realized that he writes that to everybody. He's always like like <laughs> Michael Crace or all the, the other people we know in wrestling. They have yeah. like things yeah. signed that's like, to my greatest friend in the world, Mike. And I'm like, well, shit. I thought I was the guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, my other thing was, what did, uh, what, how did, since you didn't work him in the ring, what was uh, Punk's overall? I mean, besides just being on cloud nine because you're working him in a match. What was Punk's thought of him versus other top guys in terms of working him, even though he was a little older at that time? Um, he, he loved every 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 bit of it. Um, it was a time when Ring of Honor wasn't as hot as it would be would become as far as holding more shows a month. They were more still monthly shows or bi monthly. I don't know, but still, it was still in the building stages of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just loved every fucking second of it. I mean, we like that was great. And I honestly, I, I can't recall watching the Ring of Honor one because I was in it working, but I don't remember really sitting and watching it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he was doing. It wasn't long after that he did the Raven feud, and I was a part of that. But um, he, I, I don't recall him doing MLW when he was like in a War Games. He's got a picture. He's in a War Games, but he's also got a picture with like Harley ringside. Dusty's in the match, fucking, it's like a who's who of NWA, Abdullah, like, it just crazy stuff that, like, I, I have to reminisce with him about because I don't recall this happening. I think mainly just because I was in my own world yeah. that these things just happened. But when he worked TNA with them, when they did, they were doing, like, the flip side of the Raven angle. Ring of Honor, he was feuding with Raven, the Second City Saints and, and Raven and all that shit. But... And TNA, he was part of his fucking, like, not his flock, but whatever they were calling his group then. And uh, the gathering, I think. And, uh, like, him and the, the Julio De Niro. But that's mm-hmm. when they were bringing in all the ECW guys. So, like, Sandman's in there. And he had Funk one week. And I was just, I yelled at him. And he says this. It's actually, I, I can't find the video. There's an Impact channel that plays all the old TNA stuff. And they had Punker on one day. And I recorded the match with him and Funk. And he is to my first story, I to, or to my story with the boxer. He was punch. Punk was punching him, and on camera he said, "Did you get the goddamn match with the Sheik yet?" <laughs> bam, bam, and he's just fucking punching him. You actually so, hear him say it? Yes. Oh yes, my god, I, that's so great. Oh. Yeah, because it was all for me because <laughs> we had both worked TNA, and he's like, "What should I do tonight?" And I said. Uh, make sure you yell this to the fucking funk. And <laughs> Dude, so, I love you know, shit like that. I love inside shit. Yeah. Like, that's so good. Oh yeah, yeah. You can hear it. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Maybe you can link it. But it's 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 so good. I know he just loved it because just like now, uh, old school is in his heart. You know, Harley taught Punker to make a blade. 
um, you know, which I didn't know. He was making blades one day, and Puck just said, show me. And, you know, he, he made it. But the stuff that holds true in the old guard of, you know, just making people believe and putting them, you know, getting them into the match and the, the, just all that stuff, like a pioneer like Terry Funk, like a guy, not just a pioneer, but a fucking through every era. Like I, when I posted my tribute, like every era, this guy came out and he was still fuck no matter what, from the eighties, from when he had the NWA title, the seventies to into the nineties. Like I just watched uh slamboree 94, him and uh, Tully Blanchard. And when I looked at it, I said, holy shit, ECW is either erupting right now or has been happening. And all those people in Philly, like, why wouldn't Heyman just say, yeah, and I don't know the story. I don't know, but, you know, Heyman, like, yep, go ahead, go work WCW Slamboree. And yeah. then, you know, I'll bring you right in off television. That's the smartest fucking thing to do. It is. Um, he, he survived. And look what you said. He survived the Chainsaw Charlie shit. And then I remember Terry Taylor telling me he hired him for WCW like in the last like couple of years they were around. And I don't recall that. And I had to go back and watch it. He works like he works hardcore matches with, with Fit and with Norman and all kinds of shit, but there's funk. And I'm like, He was he commissioner. Looks- he was the technical commissioner for on on air for WCW. Okay. I mean, this is the final like, you know, dying breaths of the company, but he was right. still there. I mean, and, you know, you forget it because it was sort of an unforgettable uh, time for that. But, yeah, look, you're a Japanese wrestling guy. You love the stuff, Brody, all of that. How does he rank all time as far as uh, American in Japan? Because, uh-huh. I mean, you know, I, I got to see all this stuff. I, I watch it all on, on uh, YouTube now. But, you know, when he's like, forever, I love Japan forever. And he just keeps saying yeah. forever. I mean, how does yeah. he rank? Is he even higher than Brody? Or how's, what is it? I think he's higher than Brody. I think he's higher than Brody. Um, yeah, Brody was it, 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 it to truly tell the test of time to see how long Brody, you know, would have like would have gone on. You know, how long his career would have gone on um, had his, his unfortunate death not happened. Um, I, I think he ranks above that just because he is he's the one who taught Brody. Yeah. He's the one. You know, he you know Brody came through Texas wrestling. Brody wrestled the Funks early. Hanson too. Mm-hmm. Now Hanson, Hanson and Terry, that's more of a side by side. That's more of a race to me, right there. I, I, I can see as, that. Just uh, any of these guys that you know, Abdullah. You have all these guys that went to Japan and became big stars. Stan Hanson, definitely one of those guys. I didn't mean to leave him out, but I mean, I, I just think you know, Terry. He started so many decades ago over there, and then went back and forth, just like everybody else. And I was going to ask you this, like, you know, when people give their Mount Rushmore wrestlers of all time, of course, you think of the biggest names of all time that make money in terms of you know Hogan, Austin, Flair, stuff like that, but. But I think, Terry, if you really want to – for wrestling, as a wrestler, not a moneymaker, as a wrestler, Terry has to be there because uh, he was like the last outlaw ace because this guy was a free agent. He went in and out. He never signed up for a long-term deal. I mean, have you ever met anyone else that could – I mean, knowing Vince the way I did, uh, Terry Funk at least twice – uh, in the 93, remember he was supposed to be in the, uh, he was supposed to be one of the hooded guys with Shawn Michaels in that match in the Survivor Series. And like, he went home cause his horse was sick, right? Cause he didn't want to like unmask and be like there with, uh, the other two drones. And then, uh, and then he also went home at one point when he couldn't stay, dude, I told Gabe this story earlier, but he couldn't stand wrestling, uh, the junkyard dog anymore. So he told Jimmy Hart he was going home cause he couldn't wrestle with the junkyard dog anymore because he was horrible. So he just went home. <laughs> And like, who else? Would, Vince would never bring this guy, anybody, back like that unless they were good and, or great. Sure. And that's sure. scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just whatever Vince 
felt for him, feels for him, or was just like, yep, let's bring him back. Like he stiffed him a couple of times, obviously. Oh, yeah. But I so I mixed up the big, the sick horse. I thought that was the junkyard dog. Well, that's just a running. That's a running line. Like I don't know where he used it. Just like how many times did he retire? I mean the the sick horse oh, line yeah. was his like his go to. You know, what I mean? it was, became it became like just his nice way of saying go fuck yourself. That was like a sick. Oh horse. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always laugh and say anybody that in the, that that's on independent wrestling that quote unquote retires. That's like the poor man's Terry Funk. Like. <laughs> No one fucking retires on independent wrestling. You're an independent wrestler. Um, like, sorry to break everyone's hearts, but it's but it, but it is. It's it's you know it's fucking it's funk. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. You know, like yeah. I think it's I think it's different when Flair did it. It's more comical because it's Terry Funk, and he really does go away for a while. Flair just turned around and you know he took one of the great probably the greatest match he could have left a stamp on, and then you know that that just it gets tarnished over time. Um, I think I personally think you should have kept that with Sean. Like that was such a beautiful moment. That Everything, awesome, you know, that was an awesome way for him to go out. And I, we all know what's happened since then, but Terry was never, Terry never had the pomp and circumstance though. He didn't put himself in a position right. to like, I mean, he had his wrestle fest with Brett down on his ranch. He had, he had other stuff in Japan. I, I get this, but like he never had that main event mania moment where he would, you know, then come back six months later or less, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, I, he, gosh, man, the way, look at the way, well, when I, when I went back to, you know, he, he took care of independent, like he took care of all Japan. They created all Japan. You can watch it. And I definitely want to go, I'm going to read his book over again because I have a terrible memory. So Same. I'll, uh, so I'll go back and review it. And I'm sure there's stories that are going to jog my mind and just hear different things, you know, like, like to hear the story about, uh, Dory having the truck accident and they swear up and down that happened, which is why he had dropped the title to Jack Briscoe. <laughs> but Dory could show up and drop it to Harley. Yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, that. like, and, yeah. And a lot of heat me. there between the Briscoes. Oh, and the oh yeah. Big time, big time. But, uh, you know, they helped create all Japan. They helped create such a style. And then Terry with all the styles, he, you know, when it was time to, when it was time to change New Japan, then he left, or I mean, all Japan. Then he had they gone away. I don't know what the major decision was. Again, got to review all this stuff. But he comes back years later with the whole Cactus Jack scene of the death match, and mm-hmm. you know, just I, it's definitely like I've had hardcore matches that that I'm you know slightly into you know where it's the, the culmination of a feud and blah 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 but there's a reason for it happening instead of hey thursday let's go beat each other over the head sure. but i i maybe the death match is pushing it a little bit that's just my not my complete cup of tea but the stuff they did was innovative and it was fucking different and again he's doing moonsaults at 50 at ecw i mean you know shane douglas and and Sherry standing there, I still see that whole tape in my head of, of with the, the three-way with Sabu. It was like the three-way dance. I'd never, never heard of three-way matches, you know. And just to see that stuff, it's just that's revolutionary. I'll tell you the thing that I can say about him. Probably, I mean, for all the people that I've known or met or heard about in wrestling, he has to be the most secure dude ever in wrestling. As far as when, when he was in his later years, at least like 40 and up. Because this guy... 
I mean, for a dude to first of all, he did he could come he helped how many like territory slash companies did he help out build, you know, like whether it's ECW or like you said, the deathmatch, I think that was Victor Keone's or like, you know, FMW with Onita or just every independent. Like somebody was telling me the other day, like, I don't remember a match where Terry Funk like half assed it or didn't like leave the crowd thinking he was a nut job, whether it was like at a huge arena or at an indie show, you know, I mean he 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 wasn't a legend that mailed it in. Right. Oh, not at all. Not at all. And uh, I never heard. What was it? The one thing I read about him was that Tommy Dreamer's one of Tommy Dreamer's show that he, he had Terry in mm-hmm. and Terry did get in the ring. And then I think it was Dreamer that reflected that like he knew that was that, that wasn't right because he would always get in the ring and he declined to get in the ring. And that's just the saddest thing to hear. Like if he didn't want to get in the ring, that means probably the trip was the hardest thing for him, but because he loved Tommy, you know, he showed up for all that stuff and loves wrestling. You know, that's sure. plain, that's plain as day that he loves wrestling so much. Um, you know, that's a guy, that's a guy like, you know, in the same vein of someone that works a show and doesn't call it in, you know, Ricky Morton, like having a blast, you know, working hard all the time. And sure. the C, the C funk go out there and work just like he was in, the Mid-South Coliseum with Jerry Lawler in front of a couple of hundred people, you know, or the, the National Fairgrounds against Dusty Rhodes, which I found one from, I don't know what year it was, a apprentice show, but he's, you know, they're going in there, kicking each other's ass, you know, get a little juice, like, just, like you said, it's like, time time just stopped. Time just stopped for him, you know, as far as, like, the stuff like that goes. He, he doesn't look at it one way or the other, like, oh, I'm only doing Thursday night bumps tonight, boys. No Saturday night bumps for this, you know. That he, wasn't the case. He's not like the honky tonk man. I think he, I forget his line. It was something in <laughs> effect like, oh, the only bump that's going to happen. Uh, you know, he's never touched. His feet are never leaving the ground. He's never taken a bump. He'll sing. <laughs> he'll like, he'll put someone down. He's not going to use a guitar, but like, right, and now granted, right. he, you know, honky was a little older, but, um, but sure. yeah, it's, uh, he, he never did that. And so, what, so I, I, I'm guessing you've already said it, but your favorite, if I was going to ask you your favorite Terry Funk match, it's, it's in that series with Flair. Um, not necessarily. That's Michael Strider's favorite. I, I really love, uh, a brawl he had with Steamboat after the Flair feud. There's a great brawl they have, and I think it's a clash of champions Mm. and I don't know what number, but it it is such a great brawl for wrestlers that are not good brawlers to watch timing, cadence, when to do stuff, two different fucking styles. You know, Ricky Steamboat's in a fight. He's in a fight, but you believe he's in that fight. Like, you don't believe he's getting killed by by Funk. You believe he's standing toe-to-toe when you normally wouldn't think that to be of Ricky Steamboat because he just came off the, uh, you know, I guess there was a lot of strikes in, in the Flair Steamboat match, but, like, the technical or the wrestling aspect, and, you know, no one's really grabbing holds in this. They're just they're just destroying each other in the in the best working way possible, but believable. Um, to me, that's it. And, and the other match, which has had – uh, who is he in the ring? This is silly. Is it him and Foley at ECW? I'm a terrible ECW fan that I don't remember what, when is what is what. But when all the chairs flew in the ring. It was him and Foley were on one side, and they were beating up. Was it um, Public Enemy or uh, – it was another tag team. It was the Pitbulls or Public Enemy. I'm trying to remember who it was. But it was that was when he asked, <laughs> he asked for a chair, and he got one, and he got 50 more. 
And then uh-huh. he sold the, the one of the classic sell jobs is when he takes that chair in the back of the head in the corner because he knows he needs to get the hell out of there anyway. And he takes yeah. one in the back of the head and he does like he like he always did, like a curly from the Three Stooges, like sell job, just <laughs> like stiffens up like Bugs Buddy and falls down like a tree and then get rolls the hell and get out of there so he doesn't die. Uh, that yeah. is a classic scene. Classic. Yeah. And that that's we did that in Ring of Honor in a street fight we had in 2004. Punker and I against uh, uh, the, uh, the prophecy with, with Alice in Danger. Uh, actually, she wasn't out there for the match. I think she should have been and took a bump. But we did that spot, and we didn't tell Gabe Sapolsky. And we, and they just kept chucking chairs in the fucking ring. It was amazing. And then we finished the match off with it. We wouldn't have had a chair duel. We're just stupid. And uh, anyway, it was a good street fight, but Ricky burned the town. You burned the town down, screwed yeah. the whole building for everybody, and then no one was wrestling in that building ever again. Cool. That's right. Chicago, Chicago was never the same. No, but Ricky Steamboat saw it, and he was like, "That was so special. That was so cool. I knew you guys were getting ready to do something like all the chairs and just a spectacle." And I was like, "That's Terry Funk." Like the, we had no ideas for that. And I just looked, I, I don't, I think it was I that looked at Punk and said, what if we did that? And he looked at me and was like, let's fucking do it, you know? And because we were trying to figure out what we could do for this match the night before, like what could, could be the thing or something special. But, you know, th- those two matches stand out to me. Um, like, and, and there's so many other classics. They're just spots in matches. The, the type of worker he was. Oh, the empty arena match. I'm so stupid. The empty arena match with Lawler. That is fucking classic. That is a great one. Original, original, which they replicated years later with The Rock. Right. The original. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those are mine. So there's three there. Yeah. No, there's there's many classics. And I, I like I said, I don't think he gets his due because he was never in one spot very long. He gets his due as right. being an all-time great. He doesn't get his due of being up there with, you know, the Flares and Hogans as much as he should based on how great he was and what he did for the business because he just – he never had that – I don't know. He didn't have that desire to be, like, the tippy-top guy for 40 straight years, you know? So, I just – No. No, no. I mean, did he – I mean, again, I think the story is he just gave the belt back. Like, he was done being a traveling NWA champion. He probably could have been a five-year, five, five year and he's like, I'm sick of this shit, you know? And he had to go home and missed his family. And Fucking horse just, was yeah. sick again. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's such a classic. I wish I could use that. I wish I could use that someday and then have everyone stand around and go, do you have a fucking horse? You should buy a horse in Florida just so you can have that excuse. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, well, he was one of a kind, and thanks for your thoughts, Ace, because I know you were a, a huge fan of his, and uh, we, he will definitely be missed. I mean, we it, we knew it was coming, but when it's finally here, it's always it always sucks. So, Yes, yes indeed. Rest in peace to the great Terry Funker forever, forever. Good talking to you, Chris.
I really kind of think that I always wanted to wrestle. I admired my father when I was a kid. I loved the people that he was around and that I were around as a child and just grew up in it. The, the truly memorable times that I truly, truly, truly loved were the times that I spent with my brother and my father in the ring, on the road, and just being together. It was uh, great times in my life, you know. My pop was a special person, he really was. And my brother was as good of a wrestler that you could get for a partner in the ring. And uh, he was a great performer, and I think that we had a mix that was good in the ring that was successful all over the United States and Japan, and along with my father, too. Holds. Uh, Dean Malenko didn't invent the Texas clover hold. I wonder where it got the name Texas if Dean Malenko is from Florida. Uh, the Texas clover hold was kind of my name and invention. Did it over in Japan. Malenko had to be over. It happened to be over there one time, and I was wrestling over there. That's where he saw the old Texas clover hold. Another hold that I really liked using that was quite different from everybody else's the rolling leg splits, which is uh, something that I kind of coined over a period of time that you don't even hardly see in the business anymore, you know, and, and of course, the spinning toe hole. Made a lot of fellas wince on that one. <laughs> it's the worst territory. Goff, man. Terry Funk, what a legend, what an absolute, uh, I mean, just a, a someone that will always be remembered in pro wrestling, multiple-time NWA champion, uh, the, like we said, the last outlaw um, of professional wrestling, a bruiser Brody type. I mean, the list goes on and on. Definitely now when I think about my Mount Rushmore's and how Terry Funk affected my wrestling fandom and seemed to have a place in all of those eras, even like you said, he did so many promotions and everything, I think. Um, talking to people that knew Terry, talking to, um, hearing fans response, all that kind of stuff. And I do, I am looking forward to dreamers response because I love Tommy dreamer. And if we ever have him on this show, I'd love to talk to him about Terry Funk. Of course. Like I messaged him yesterday and Dr. Tom and just said, I mean, he was a true legend and I'm sorry, you know, cause I know how much they, you know, they both love the business and love yeah. him and all this. And it's just, it, it seems like it happens. I know it's just life and it just happens all the time, but it's, it's, you know, what draws and Terry Funk and then all the legends just passing away mm -hmm. in the last handful of years. It's always going to happen. I get it. It's just more magnified when they're people from your childhood or yeah. your lifetime. But I, you know, I think the thing that is you hear people talk about Terry Funk, the, it's the selflessness that really set him aside from other people. I mean, this is a dude that had every right to be like a cocky SOB and just sort of be a jerk to people if he wanted to, because he had the talent, he had the charisma, he had everything you needed to be on the top of the wrestling. And he had already proven that years ago. So um, he just would go anywhere and do anything that it seemed like, as long as it wasn't what I, the way I perceive Terry Funk is as long as he didn't feel that it was like wasting his time, you know, or like, I think like, uh, 
I know other wrestlers like that. They're like, I don't have to be the tippy top guy. I would much, I would much rather have fun putting over this person or these younger guys or whatever. But if they're just horrible and not listening and not trying to learn anything, it just seemed like that would be the only time. Like I said, when he, he, when he thought junkyard dog wasn't giving his all, (laughs) he was okay with going home. But like, you know, if you look and see what he did for most of his career, like you said, he, he spanned so many different companies and countries and all this stuff that it wasn't like he was always on top, but everyone loved him. And I just think that, uh, you know, there's there's only a handful of guys like him throughout the history of wrestling, and during our lifetime anyway, that can say how much respect he had across the board and how many people would actually put him, you know, uh, knowingly at the top because of what he did for everybody in the business. And, and I, I yeah, absolutely. And I would say, speaking of selflessness, when you think about it, he really never overstayed his welcome in any company. And he did. I would say he lost far more than he ever won. And then, and I think that's by design. He wanted, he wanted to put people over. And so if I had to recommend one match to people, obviously there's a bevy of Terry Funk matches. You could go watch uh, the empty stadium thing with Jerry Lawler. That was huge. Uh, yeah. Huge, huge deal. I mean, he's done everything, but the, the match that really, I think set, set him apart for me. I barely legal was so good, but the first thing it was such a seminal moment in ECW was the night the line was crossed with him, Sabu and Shane Douglas in uh, their three-way match. I, I highly recommend that match. Gosh, man, that just brings me back to their their promo videos. That you know, yeah, they, they promote they promo that videotape for so oh, many years. Like the night God. the line was crossed, <laughs> yeah. like it was so good. Like it's just, I just remember that whole like promo of ECW tapes that they would uh-huh. like sell. You know, and they had the Desperado on there, and uh-huh. you know, think of that. Like they're putting Desperado on their commercial reel. That'd be so bad right now. They get sued so fast, but. Yes, that he had awesome moments in his 50s. And if you know you had awesome moments in your 50s, what are you doing in your 30s? You know, I mean, you're he was great. He was he was he was unbelievable. And I think uh, only time will show that he was uh, even better than what most people ever considered him. Because I think once you get a little perspective on what he did, uh, yes, he was never Hulk Hogan. Uh, but he had like a thousand times more respect than Hulk Hogan from his peers. And he, um, was always just like just beloved by everybody. I, I've never heard anyone talk crap on Terry Funk. Ever. No, not even like no. Office. You know, what I mean, like yeah. So yeah, amazing, amazing career. Thank you so much, Terry, for all the wonderful memories mm-hmm. of your long and illustrious career, and may your memory live on forever in the hearts of wrestling fans. All right, Chris, let's get to the final segment. You said you've got something up your sleeve for me. What do you got for me this yes, week? Yes, well, let's get back to the man of the hour, Terry Funk, RIP. Love you, Terry. And uh, one of the most uh, memorable wrestlers in the history of the business. And let's get to some Terry Funk trivia. Yeah. Now, this is a varying level. I threw this together real quick this morning, yeah. Gabe. So it's varying levels of, of uh, ease here. I think you'll do pretty well on this, but... Here we go. We have 10 questions. Okay. Name three titles Terry Funk held in professional wrestling. Okay. ECW world title. Mm-hmm. Um, the, oh God. What was the, was it the CWA? Uh, well, obviously the NWA title. And then Correct. the last one, um, the one law, the Memphis one. There is a Memphis one. It was sort of like the last big USWA. Correct. Okay. There we go. 
USWA, uh, so he was ECW World, the NWA World, the USWA Unified World. So you're probably thinking that. Uh, yeah. That, and then he was also the WWF World Tag Team Champion. Oh, yeah. And he was the ECW World Television Champion. So was he the television champion? Her, yes, he huh. was. All right. Uh, okay, number two. Who did Terry Funk defeat to become NWA champion? Uh, Jerry Briscoe. Jerry Briscoe was a champion? Or not Jerry. Um, um, was it Jack Briscoe? Jack Briscoe. Oh, I don't know if you get credit for that. You said No, Jack. come on. I do. Um, okay, so... <laughs> If I say Shut Matt up. Hardy's the greatest aerialist of all time, that's correct as well. Oh, no, I meant Jeff. Anyway, uh, okay, fine, you get that. Then 1975, Funk defeated Briscoe in Miami. Okay. Okay. Uh, what year did Terry Funk make his debut in the WWF? What year did he debut? 84? 85. Shit. Okay. He made his debut in 85 after a brief run in the AWA. Oh, yeah. Okay. Who did Terry Funk defeat to become ECW champion, and what show was it on? Uh, Barely Legal. Um, He defeated Stevie Richards and um, Raven. No, wait, wait, no, wait, 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 wait. Sandman. He defeated Sandman, Stevie Richards... Was Raven involved? Yes, Raven. Yes, it, Raven is who the correct answer is. April 13th, 1997, barely legal pay-per-view. Got the win over Raven. Yes. Um, okay, and the biggest of all Terry Funk's retirements at the event called Terry Funk's WrestleFest at the <laughs> Double Cross Ranch, who did he wrestle and what was the outcome? He wrestled, uh, from what I can remember... It was what year? Can you give me a hint? What year it was? Uh, it was ninety-seven. He wrestled Bret Hart. He did wrestle Bret Hart. What was the outcome? What was the finish? Uh, the finish was my my gut. Just give me a second to remember this. My gut was saying he. It was some sort of a schmoz. Um, I'm going to say a double countout. So Terry Funk lost to Bret Hart. I believe he got took the pin, but it was a non-title match, which made you think he might actually win because the title's not on the line. Bret Hart at the time being the WWF world title. Holder. So do I get Habsies on that because I didn't know the finish? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Uh, this is uh, uh, the next question related to this just because it makes me laugh every time. On that same show, who claimed he wasn't going to be there because, quote, I'm not booked? <laughs> do you not remember this? Uh, I, I, oh, hold on, hold on. So hold on. on the on the classic wrestling, uh, you know, <laughs> documentary. Um, uh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, I'm blanking now, but on the classic wrestling documentary, they show Terry Funk. Uh, he is at, you know, he's he's going to the doctor. He's getting all this stuff. They're yeah, saying, yeah, oh, yeah. you're pretty beat up or whatever. And his friend, he sees his friend, and he's like, you're going to be in my retirement, right? And he's like, no, I'm not booked. And uh, <laughs> then it shows video of this man that uh, says he keeps in shape by jumping on a trampoline and doing weights while jumping on the trampoline in his sort of like in his wrestling uh, trunks. <laughs> I know exactly. So you don't remember his name? No, I have seen it in my head, everything you're saying, but I can't see his face. Who is it? His name was Dennis Stamp. Ah, oh, man. I'm not booked. 
That's a classic line. Dude, and I remember the trampoline. Dude, okay. I lost that one. Dang it. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. In 2013, Terry Funk was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by whom? Mick Foley. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Terry Funk, number nine. Terry Funk is credited for choreographing the boxing scene. No, 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 no. This is number eight. Well, I, I, I was doing Dennis Stamps a question. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Terry Funk is credited for choreographing the boxing scenes in what movie that came out in 1990? This is a good one. Um... God, I just heard about this the other day. Oh, God. Give me a second. Um, you heard about this? How did this or, just come up the other day? Or read about it or something. I don't remember. Behind the scenes, Funk choreographed the street fight between Rocky Balboa and his nemesis Tommy Gunn at the end of Rocky V. <laughs> his name can be seen in the end credits. Nice. Another okay. connection with him and Sylvester Stallone. And finally, uh, speaking of Sylvester Stallone, he had uh, Terry Funk had a handful of memorable movie parts to us fans. But what was his very first Hollywood movie part? What movie? Ooh. This was in 1978. Was it Body Slam? No, that Body Slam was way later than that. Um, Body Slam was like 84. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really don't. He played Frankie the Thumper in 1978's Paradise Alley, starring Sylvester Stallone. Uh -huh. That was his first one. And then, of course, he went on to do Over the Top. And then he went on to do Roadhouse. Yes. And uh, over the top, he's basically, you know, same kind of ass kicking sort of bodyguard guy that well, he played a bouncer in Roadhouse. But uh, I just watched Roadhouse last week. It's such a class, such a classic over the top 80s movie. How many times have you seen Roadhouse? Uh, would you guess? I don't I'd say, I don't know, 30. Uh, I'm in the hundreds. Easy. I, I don't think I, I mean, I, the full movie. I've seen clips of it when it's on TBS ad nauseum. I'll see it. But I I probably haven't watched it you know, start to finish more than 30 times. Rip, rips that dude's throat out. So sick, dude. And my favorite line in that movie, pain don't hurt. Love yeah. that. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I, I think like the, the best part about that movie is much like a lot of Schwarzenegger movies is that the heel in the movie, the little, the little dork guy, that's like the henchman. Mm. He takes like four gun shots to go down even though yeah. he's like a buck 50 and five foot seven okay, or five, five, I don't know, he's a tiny guy. And he was just like, it was like a monster movie. You couldn't kill the dude, even though everybody else got their throat ripped out and would go down with like one punch. So yeah, yeah, that was, that was the best part of eighties movies is the over the top, like, you know, Rambo shooting a million people with his machine gun and never getting hit. So yeah. that was the, but that was what made the movies great. They were like, so, so great. The good guy so always over the top. Great. But not uh, but yeah, not, yeah. Go ahead. What'd you miss? Would you miss two, three? I no, I missed four. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm doing the same thing, man. I'm like four for five, five for five. Like I'm I'm like 
same as with every trivia challenge we've done. Those are uh, random. But, those are random. But but those were really good. Good job throwing that together today. Um, but Chris, uh, before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit promotional stuff. The Peculiar Winery Winery um, will be open for all your wine needs there in Peculiar, Missouri this weekend. It should be a lot nicer this weekend. Uh, oh, back yes. down into the 80s starting on Saturday and uh, go enjoy their beautiful patio and their food truck offerings that they have over at Peculiar Winery. Um, also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, give us a five-star rating. That really helps us get noticed. Also, give us a comment. Give us a like also on Facebook, facebook.com slash worst wrestling. And if I ever get more time, I will be uh, trying to spruce up our YouTube channel. Um, so that way we have more content up there. Also, if you need any of your real estate needs met, don't forget, I am your guy. You can hit me up at area code 661 236-9055, or you can email me at wrestlingwithrealestate at gmail.com. Okay, Chris, we're going to get out of here, but before we do, let us play a classic promo from Terry Funk. All right, Chris, we're going to play this promo and get out of here. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us this week on the worst territory in the world. We will see you next week. And before we get out of here, we'll leave you with the late, great Terry Funk. You know, sometimes it takes a loss to bring your life in focus and figure out actually what your goals are. And uh, I came back to the dressing room and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and an hour must have went by and I looked down and I haven't even unlaced my shoes yet. I thought about a lot of things. I thought about Tommy Dreamer. And I know I've told you people this before, uh, there's nobody in this world that tries any harder than that guy right there. And we're all his fans, and no matter how satisfied we are with him, he just always wants to do a little bit better. And he's got the right name and that Dreamer name. He reminds me of somebody a long, long, long time ago. That person he reminds me of is my father. Dory Funk Sr., who was also a professional wrestler. And in 1973, he was in his 50s, and he had this dream. He wanted to be champion, and that was what he wanted to do all of his life. He wanted to be the world's champion. Wrestling was his life, and that was an important thing to him, but it never happened. The reason it didn't happen because in 1973, June of that year, my father had a massive heart attack while he was wrestling. My brother and I rushed him to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, he says, how much further do I have to go? And I looked at him and I knew he was in a lot of pain. I said, not much further, Dad, just a couple more miles. And he said, Dad, gummit. He says, I can't make it, I'm going. Well, those were his last words. And whatever those were his last words, I figured that the Lord had good reason to take him. And he did take him. And it was the saddest day in my brother and my life. And it'll be the saddest day in my life probably forever. Now, 24 years later, here I am, 
trying to figure out my goals after a loss. And what my goal is right now is that I guess I'm a dreamer too. <laughs> I want to be world's champion. I know if I get in the ring against that ECW champion, if I can get in there against Raven, I, I know that, that I can beat him. I just, I just feel it. And why do I want to do it? I thought about that too. I want to do it for all you hardcore fans out there. I want to do it for all of us old farts to prove that we don't have one foot in the grave. But most of all, I want to do it to fulfill my father's dreams. That's what I want to do is fulfill his dreams. Now I know that I can't guarantee a victory, but Dad Gummett, I can guarantee that I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to quit and I want to just keep on going. And if I can get him in the match, a championship match, and if I can beat him and they present me with that belt, I don't want to stand out there and say I did it my way. I want to invite every one of you ECW fans that are in the arena that night to come in the arena and stand with me. And I want us to hold our arms in the air and I want to invite anybody that's watching it on television to hold our, their arms in the air and say, we did it our way, not like the WWE. We did it our way, not like the WCW. We did it our way, not like AAA, New Japan, All Japan, FMW. We did it our way, not like the ultimate fighting organizations. We did it our way. And what is our way? That's the ECW way. And what is the ECW way? It's the only way because it's the most physical, dangerous form of wrestling in the world today, bar none. We did it our way because we love it that way. We love it that way.